And now it's time for News with My Dad, a show where we talk about the news with my dad. And on the line, live, playing the role of my dad is, in fact, my dad, our special guest, Joe Smith. Pop, how you doing? Well, I am rejoicing because of what today is. I'm listening. At 8.49 this evening... The earth will be exactly abaft, I believe that's the nautical term, the sun. We will be enjoying the equinox, that is the vernal equinox, and starting from that time, the days will be getting longer for the next three months, and I'm looking forward to it. So we'll be able to enjoy our solitude in sunshine for longer days. This is a show we talk about the news. We try to talk about the important stuff. Sometimes we talk about the unimportant. But when it's unimportant, we try to say so. We take turns. Dad typically takes the first turn. Pop, do you have a shout-out? I do. I have more than one. First, I want a shout-out for all the folks who are still going to work putting food on the shelves at the grocery stores so that we don't starve. Those folks who did not lay in the requisite two weeks that everybody was proposed, I just think whether it's Safeway or Albertsons or Fred Meyer or Costco or what have you, thank you very much for what you were doing. And then I also want to shout out for all of the citizens who are following the urging to distance yourself, one of whom I am. I am distancing myself. And then one other shout out. Our senators, Ron Wyden and Jeff Merkley, were rated 100% by the League of Conservation Voters for their votes last year. We can be proud of our senators. Well, Bob, how are you feeling? It sounds like you're feeling a little bit better. You're still quarantined. You'll stay that way. But well, how's I'm, I'm your trajectory? Because I'm for two weeks, but uh, we will never know. You know, DDT has kept saying, if you want a test, you can get a test. Flat out lie, total lie. And I have evidence of that. I cannot get a test, even though I am 84 years old. I attended a conference in San Diego that was attended by people from all over the world, and five days later, I came down with a sore throat and what appeared to be a mild fever and a, a dry cough. The symptoms that they said were of the virus, but there was no test available for me. And now my, those symptoms are gone. My temperature this morning was down at, uh, at uh, 96.8. But I still can't get a test, so I'll never know. Did I have a mild cold? Did I have a mild flu? Or did I have a mild case of the virus? We will apparently just never know. Yeah, but we can guess, given your symptoms. You, don't have, you didn't have the symptoms of a cold, and you didn't have the symptoms of a typical flu. You did have the symptoms of a coronavirus, luckily a relatively uh, mild example, although you were pretty much laid up for several days. By the way, Dad, let's get to some news. I want to start here. President Donald Trump did sign into law an emergency coronavirus relief package on Wednesday evening, just last night, passed 90 to 8 without changes. Uh, 
it passed, the Senate passed it, the House Coronavirus Relief Bill, freeing up Congress to focus on more energy on passing subsequent legislation. Deal includes free coronavirus testing, even for the uninsured, two weeks of paid sick leave and family leave, some increased funds for Medicaid and food, secu- food security like food stamps, increased unemployment insurance. Also is being considered a phase two of Congress's coronavirus legislative efforts. Negotiations over a phase three deal are already underway. That's some, that includes the discussions over sending out cash directly to people. It's unclear how much it's going to cost. Congressional Budget Office has not yet scored it. But the Joint Committee on Taxation estimates say about $100 billion. Most senators, uh, several senators protest the bill, arguing that it doesn't do enough for small businesses and industries hit hardest by the virus. McConnell bluntly told those senators Tuesday that they should gag and vote for it anyway. McConnell said the Senate will stay in session until phase three is passed. White House is pushing for an additional trillion dollars to be dedicated to combating the economic effects, largely by giveaways to larger organizations, big companies. Treasury fact sheet proposes sending checks, though, to many Americans and devoting $300 billion to helping smaller businesses. This would be done via two separate checks of equal amounts, one on April 6th, that's just a couple weeks, and the other on May 19th. The specific dollar amounts would be means-tested, meaning it would be based on the income level and family size. Each round of payments would be identical per the Treasury. Fact sheet also calls for the creation of $50 billion in an airline industry secured lending facility, which would allow it to make direct loans to U.S. passenger and cargo carriers, basically a loan version of a bailout to the airline industry. And the House is currently in recess. They plan to return to Capitol Hill after the Senate passes the third bill. And that's one of the things I wanted to point out. If you there is discussion about Nancy Pelosi, and many people consider one of the greatest legislative leaders ever in terms of her ability to operate the strategy. Just to make just a little bit of sausage making here, if the House puts forth a bill package and passes the bill package in the House and then leaves, that means the Senate only has one choice, or I guess two choices, to pass or not to pass. Instead of saying, oh, instead of Rand Paul saying, I'm going to hold this up, Unless you put in some following stuff and hold this up, unless as part of this bill we get rid of funding for Planned Parenthood, uh, as I'm going to hold this up unless we also include uh, tax cuts for billionaires, whatever the thing is, uh, hold this up unless we make rapidly ascending climate change uh, more of a law. Instead of thinking you're going to be able to negotiate, you just leave the building. And you don't leave the building breaking the law. You don't leave the building violating the rules. You don't leave the building quitting your job. You just do your job, and then you wait for the Senate to do its job. We got a question in. Do we have any updates on what's going on internationally with regards to the coronavirus? Not getting a lot of regular updates in the New York Times from countries other than our own. Yes, I do have some information about that. We'll be sharing a little bit later. Dad, what is your response? And I do want to talk at greater length about the about Donald Trump, about his response, about apparently now he is seeing the seriousness of this and seeing the political seriousness of this as well, but we don't want to... What's happened, what's happened is that he he sees this now as a great opportunity to feed his ego as the great savior, and that's remember with Donald Trump, with DDT, it is always about him. It is always what will be best for him, and he sees now that this is really bad, well, so he's going to be the hero that saves us. 
So he is, he, with a straight face, with a straight face, the guy said, I have always thought this would be a pandemic, which is either one of the biggest lies he's ever told, or he was hiding it very, very nicely. No, or, or he was lying repeatedly when he, he offered his early when, all, when he offered his early comments. But it is just, but but before we dive in, there's so much to, on the virus we need to talk about. But there is one other thing that I just want to make sure we mention because I feel a certain connection to it. Did you hear about the earthquake in Salt Lake? I did. Well, my second cousin, Rulon Crosby, who you know. Sure, stayed in, his, stayed in his very interesting house. sitting on the throne when that hit. And so he can testify that Moroni lost his trumpet and Ruhan lost more than trumpet. So the, uh, the angel Moroni is the golden statue to top, uh, statue, excuse me, it is not a past law piece of legislation. It is a statue atop the Mormon temple in Salt Lake City that was damaged, what, the trumpet fell off, the fell away from the angel? Yep. That the President Trump has now declared war on coronavirus, wants to claim that he is now a wartime president, we're going to defeat the invisible enemy, he said, who said the uh, unfolding crisis had basically made him a wartime president. Trump said he's invoking the Defense Production Act, putting in place a law that allows the U.S. government to speed productions of masks, respirators, ventilators, and other equipment needs. That I, I applaud that as absolutely the thing that should be done and absolutely the thing that should have been started four weeks ago. The law, which dates back to the Korean War of the 1950s, grants the president broad authority to expedite and s- expand the supply of resources from the U.S. industrial base to support military, energy, space, and homeland security programs. In my hand right now, by the way, and they are not a sponsor, but I am holding in my hand a small bottle of Shine Spirits Hand Cleaner. It is a local distillery right down the street from our studio. They did a brilliant thing, and within eight days became a national brand. They started saying, hey, if you drop by uh, Shine Distillery, you can get a free bottle of hand sanitizer. Also, they started including a piece of hand, a thing of hand sanitizer with every bottle of whiskey that you ordered from them in mail order. <laughs> Understand that the first batch... Get drunk but have clean hands. Maybe not drunk, just, you know, just feel no pain. The first uh, first batch of, when you start making whiskey, the first batch is unusual, uh, unusable. It is essentially grain alcohol, essentially too high a concentration, too horrible tasting for anybody to want to drink. But you mix that with some gel, and all of a sudden what you basically have is hand sanitizer. You have certainly a kind of hand sanitizer. And and I was talking about this with Katie, and we were like, like if Jack Daniels were to do this kind of thing, right? Like, why isn't it that Jim Beam, that is way bigger than a distillery here in Portland, Oregon, they could make vast quantities of this stuff if they had a motivation other than, I don't know, just the profits for their... Uh, for their ownership. Now, but, when you think about that, 120 proof booze, 60% alcohol, be a pretty good hand sanitizer. It's, it's excellent. It, vodka is not enough, right? Vodka is not enough to be a safe hand sanitizer, but you know, all the way, you know, your 100 plus proof alcohol does mix with some gel. So, a shout out to Shine Distiller and also thank you. They gave us some of it uh, for, the, for us to use in the studio. I am here with, and Julia is in a different room. Uh, we are quarantined in different rooms, but we have we each have our our blue gloves, and we have our I have a little mask over the microphone, and we wipe down the studio of all these safety protocols. 
By the way, this is the stuff that we did as soon as we, we started instituting this stuff a couple weeks back. But as the president is now changing his tune and is consistently, oh, wait a minute, I closed off China. I just want to make sure and also shout out to some of the other news agencies who are helping. I just want to point out and remind how this thing started. That how much South Korea is way ahead. We the play this. Comparison, the comparison of what we have done in South Korea is absolutely stark because South Korea and us had the same information at the same time, and South Korea sat down immediately when that information first came and dealt with it, and they they, they apparently passed the passed the bad time, and and we are just coming into it. And they got two hundred ninety thousand with, with a much smaller. I don't think you can hear me. And not done, and what what uh, Italy did and did not do. And Italy, of course, really, really very serious, where they've identified over 30,000 cases and 2,500 deaths, which, if you do the math on that, means an 8% death rate. You have to figure that there are probably an awful lot of Italians who have it who were not identified, which would lower that 8%. But nonetheless, kind of scary. The uh, You weren't able to hear what I was saying, Pop, but the... Uh, and I think you know the answer to this question, but how much earlier did South Korea have a, their first case of coronavirus than the United States? They, days, I think, I, I think I'm, I'm not even sure it was days. Same day. South Korea's first day, like they're being held out as an example of, of excellent dealing with this crisis. And they had their first reported case on the same day. And they instantly, instantly is an exaggeration, but quickly got up to 290,000 tests, which when you compare that to their population was a good number of tests. They're, we are multiples of their population, but they had multiples as many tests as we. There were 290,000 tests. We only had 60,000 tests. But as the president tries to gaslight us yet again, let us remember, and to be clear, let's fight the crisis, but we also want to make sure that there is accountability on this and we understand it. As the country is plunged into a recession and potentially a depression, make no mistake that it is not merely, as the Republicans are trying to say, because people in China eat bats, not just their, not even dog-whistling, racist and ethnocentric talking points, but in fact, incompetence or something worse than that. Let's play this montage, and thank you to this montage, of the president's comments with respect to the run-up to the coronavirus. Coronavirus. This is their new hoax. We have it totally under control. It's one person coming in from China. One day, it's like a miracle. It will disappear. And we only have 15 people, and they're getting better. I think we're doing a really good job in this country at keeping it down. Anybody that needs a test can have a test. And the tests are all perfect. This blindsided the world. I don't take responsibility at all. Now, it I don't take responsibility. And shout out, by the way, to an excellent podcast, Gaslit Nation. The, uh, I don't take responsibility. Anybody who wants a test can get a test, except for my dad and many other people in risk categories. There's only one person in China, and we're going to stop that person in China. Oh, there's 15 cases. Pretty soon it's going to be zero. And yes, it is a big hoax. All of those things 
meant that his own administration was not moving quickly. We had, this, we had the information at the same time as South Korea, and we had our first reported case on the same day, but we didn't ramp up tests. We didn't start pushing into war production as soon as we learned that something the equivalent of Pearl Harbor was on the way. We didn't start making sure there were enough ventilators. We did not get ready. And in fact, up until about a few days ago, 40, only 40% of Republicans thought that it was really a crisis that was on the expansion. They thought we'd all, that meant a majority of Republicans, a majority of Fox News viewers, thought that we had already been through the worst of the coronavirus. And that is because of horrible propaganda. This is something that history has to remember. We can't allow history to be gaslit by this president because there's got to be accountability and we have got to learn. Dad, the uh, dad, you still there? Yeah, I'm still here, listening carefully. Anything else? I have you... more to say. The uh, I I co- I complimented the beginning of the show to the folks who are keeping stuff on the store on the shelves of the stores, but the big run, the big run on the stores, toilet paper and canned goods. And you know what else? Hmm. Guns. Yeah. People are out buying toilet paper and buying canned goods and buying guns. I take it they're buying guns because they don't want anybody trying to get their toilet paper. Yeah, and just anytime there's a crisis, people realize, like, if you really did have a collapse, if you had a collapse of global government, a collapse of the United States government, a collapse of society, you got to think about what is still useful. And one of the things that is still, I guess toilet paper is still useful. Uh, Water is still really useful. And guns become useful. But I don't think what we're talking about is a full collapse of society. And guns are useful if you're willing to shoot people. And I hope you're not really willing to shoot people. And, but let's be really clear. Let us, everybody take a breath. There is not right now a problem with the supply chain on toilet paper. There is no, people buying up bottled water. There is no problem with the water supply. You know, it does. Social distancing does not have an impact on our water supply. This is not cholera, which is transmitted through the water supply. Our water is going to be fine. You don't got to stock up on bottled water. It's good to have, you know, a couple of weeks of supplies, regardless. In case there's earthquake, in case you get sick, in case there's any number of things. But you don't need. We don't need to be hoarding some basic stuff. Uh, it is good to do the social distancing. I do appreciate all the folks who are doing that. I'm trying to be disciplined about it myself, trying to model decent behavior. And thanks to all those people trying to model decent behavior, unlike, you know, a bunch of the folks on spring break doing kind of some stupid stuff. But let's not go overboard with things that aren't related, but treating things as crisis that aren't, in fact, related to the crisis. I have a text in. I have a friend who's a nurse who's been sick for a week, tested negative for the flu, but can't get a coronavirus test. She thinks it's because they'd have to put her on sick leave. This is not. uh, So anyway, this is. uh, You can send in your text of your coronavirus stories, including your stories like the one I shared of people doing wonderful things. Want to give a shout out to the landlord who uh, who's a commercial landlord who said to his commercial tenants, instead of paying rent, pay your employees. People stepping up in this time is the kind of thing that we want to shout out to and say thank you for. The text line here is 971-220-5979, What else have you been noticing with respect to our current plague? Well, a, a, an emergency hospital is being set up in the fairgrounds, the state fairgrounds in Salem, which I think is interesting. 
uh, uh, they say that the, that the state is hoping to get 20,000 tests without help from the federal government, uh, but of course I still can't I still can't get one. The uh, internationally talked about Italy. Iran is the other really big loser so far internationally with the coronavirus. I have to see. You and I have talked a little bit about what has done to sports. There, There is one major sport event that was not canceled. Did you catch that? No. It was the Iditarod. Oh, yeah. That's plenty of social distancing, and dogs apparently can't get it. Right. They finished the Iditarod. The winner, the winner made it in a little over nine days. But to be clear, the Iditarod started before all this stuff, right? I mean, it's been going on for a while. <laughs> Well, it depends on when you, when, you, when you say when did it start. If it started in January, it started well after that. That You're probably not aware of who Portugal the man is, but maybe you are, because they did win a Grammy. Well, good. Do you know who Portugal the man is? No. Okay, Portugal the man is a band. They're based here. But the lead singer, we had a chance. I had a chance to interview them just recently, and we're, we have that interview available. By the way, recommend people to download the X-Ray app. Uh, but the dad... The parents of the lead singer of Portugal, the man, uh, were dog sled racers and dog sled dog keepers. In fact, they had a hundred they had a hundred dog sled dogs. That he essentially grew up with, and I love talking to him about it. We ended up going to it at some depth in that interview. Uh, by the way, I want to shout out, of course, to this story. At least point out, highlight this story and associated stories. This one's on Vox with a V, not an F why we need to protect children from COVID-19, even if they face lower risks. This is obvious, right, folks? That infants and really small children can get really sick. They might they don't have the same uh, for a fatality rate, but you still don't want your little child getting really, really sick, and they can get really, really sick. But the other problem is little kids touch things, and it can live on surfaces for three days, and they can also touch people, and they can sneeze on people, and droplets can, you know, transmit the virus. So keep kids safe. Some good news chloroquine, an old malaria drug, is looking like it is useful for treating yeah, novel coronavirus. Have you seen this? That might have a treatment for us. It's also known as uh, high, uh, and this is shout out to Sean Swaggerty and to ABC News, hydroxychloroquine. How, am I, how badly am I butchering that pronunciation? I don't think badly at all. I think it's going great. It's been used to treat malaria since 1944. Malaria and COVID-19 do not, on the surface, seem to have much in common. But, according to at least some early research, that old malaria drug does have impact on the coronavirus and could be helpful. And the nice thing about that is it won't take a year and a half to do all of that testing. We might be able to use some of it now. It would be very hopeful. The economic, the economic stuff is really, really scary. J.P. Morgan predicts that in the second quarter there will be a, an annualized da- downturn of 14%, which is pretty heavy. It's, right this minute, there's something like 18% of the um, American workforce has either been laid off or had their hours reduced. It just it goes on and on. You're listening to X-Ray FM, and KQAC HD3 Portland, 107.1, 91.1 FM, streaming online everywhere 
at xray.fm. And thank you for listening. I did just want to go through this and highlight this night, uh, this New York Times story. We offered that montage. But just to be very, very clear, back in January 22nd, January 22nd, when it should have been time to start making sure we had tests ready. All right, this is a month and a half ago, nearly two months ago. Donald Trump said, we have it totally under control. It's one person coming in from China. We have it under control. It's going to be just fine. He said that on CSN, excuse me, CNBC on January 22nd. Meanwhile, just a week later, the Director General of the World Health Organization said the main reason for the declaration of what they were declaring, which is a public health emergency, just days after the president said that, was not because of China, but was happening in other countries. A month and a half ago, February 2nd, almost exactly a month and a half ago, Trump said in appearance with Sean Hannity that we pretty much shut it down coming in from China. That's a month and a half ago. That's at the time when we should have at least been considering scenarios for ramping up production of things like ventilators, things like face masks, other things that we would need. That same week and later that week, Various experts, including Asia George, the executive director of the Bipartisan Commission on Biodefense, Alex Azar, the Health and Human Services Secretary, were saying that they were very measured and incremental in travel restrictions that did not apply to American citizens, permanent residents, or their immediate families. We were not even, even the one thing that Donald Trump was saying he did do was still not a particularly big step. On February 14th, he said there is a, there's a theory that in April, this is Trump, when it gets warm, historically, it's been able to kill the virus. WHO, of course, later said we have no reason to believe the virus will behave differently in different temperatures. And then February 26th, this is three weeks ago, says we are going down, not up. We're going very substantially down, not up. As they get better, we take them off the list. So they're going to pretty soon only at five people. And we could be at just one or two people over the next short period of time. Okay. This is, ju- this is at the time when we absolutely already should be testing in significant quantities and should have been producing, mass-producing key safety supplies in mass quantities. The president was still denying that there was a problem, and he was calling it a hoax. Then later, on February 27th, he says it's going to disappear one day like a miracle. So don't let them gaslight you, folks. Don't let the president gaslight you. And, I, Dad, I did want to put this in some context before we move on and talk about the economy. And that context is this is not just about Trump. This is linked to an ideological battle that's been waged for years against science and against experts, really going back to, like, William Buckley and going after the Harvard-run uh, government and talking about pointy heads and the liberal elite and going after the idea of expertise as something that is useful. This is not new. This has been baked into the right-wing movement for 40 years. And it's a hard thing for them to pivot, for Fox News to pivot, for the American Enterprise Institute to pivot, for the Federal Society to pivot, for Donald Trump himself to pivot, for Mitch McConnell to pivot and finally say, "Uh uh-oh, climate change is real. No, no, that's not what I meant. What I meant was the coronavirus is real and we have to do real things about it. They They are on a ship that has been moving the wrong direction for a long time and it is hard to pivot that ship and we've got to put it in that context. This is not just about one dum dum. This is about a movement that we have to address deeply in the country. Yeah, Buckley's famous comment was that he would rather be governed by the first 2,000 names in the phone book than 2,000 Harvard experts. 
we obviously should not be slavish towards experts, but the idea that because people have studied something, they should therefore be ignored is uh, pretty stupid. U.S. and Canada have agreed to close the border to non-essential traffic. Uh, Trump confirmed in a tweet saying that trade would not be affected. I don't know why I quote his tweets. I don't believe them. Canada has yet to announce the closure. Uh, immigration has ground to a halt. The United States has shut its land borders. President Trump plans to seal off the U.S.-Mexico border to immigrants under law intended to prevent the country from communicable diseases. To be clear, the enemy is not in Mexico. Okay. Now, my, you know, limiting travel, more social distancing, it's a good thing. But just, just so we're clear, every time they say, oh, it's, oh, it's the, the Hong, what do they call it? The Hong, the Kung flu. That's what they were calling it inside the White House. The Kung flu. Every time they say, oh, it's, it's about China. Oh, no, no, let's build a wall. For the enemy is here. It's us. It's our neighbors. It's our friends. It's little children touching playground equipment. It's people in a store touching something. It's people who aren't sanitizing their hands. The enemy is here, and it is us. And we're not, and merely a wall is, you know, might be useful to encourage social distancing generally in all sorts of ways. But be clear, China is not having a lot of new cases. That is not the big problem right now. The big problem is new cases in the United States right now. Dad, stock market the economy stock market is back to where it was when trump took office had another bad day on wednesday erasing all of the gains that were made in the last three years fell seven points on wednesday uh before i left for the studio this morning it was again down a little bit today and i do want to do some crowing with respect i do want to do some crowing with respect to the uh, to the stock market but what are your thoughts on the economy pop how bad do you think this is going to get if you were going to pick a floor for the stock market. What do you think your floor would be? Well, just just think about just think about the 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 statistic that I gave that 18 percent of the American work pay, workforce is either not going to work or have had their hours reduced. That's that has a potentially major major multiplier effect because remember. When somebody has their income go down, they cease to purchase stuff, and one person's purchase is somebody else's income, and so it spirals down. So it's it, we have not seen the bottom. It, I think part of what was going on. I think one of the reasons Trump was saying all his nonsensical lies at the beginning of the emergence. We get our case the same day as South Korea. And that's something that I hadn't remembered until Reuters reminded me of that yesterday. Uh, or was it early this morning? It was early this morning that the I think what was going on in Trump's head was, I don't want to panic the market. The only chance I have at re-election is the, is the economy that I'm going to try to take credit for. And if there's a panic in the market, if there's a panic in the economy and things shrink, then that could really hurt me. And I agree with your analysis, Pop, and any armchair psychologist analysis that he does see the world through the lens of his own narcissism. That's not a new fact. We've known that for a while. We've known that before he ran for president. The challenge that he realized, well, eventually it's going to happen. Had we acted as quickly as South Korea, I don't think we'd be facing the risk of a Great Depression. If there is an economic crisis greater than 1987, greater than 2008, okay, if we see an economic crisis greater than the gas crunch in 1973, if we see something that's as big or bigger than anything we've seen, let's say if we see something bigger than anything we've seen since 1929, that is a Trump crash. 
Make no mistake, that is a Trump crash. Don't let anybody say that's a China crash. It's not a Mexico crash. It's not a coronavirus crash. South Korea is avoiding it. They hurt their economy, but now they're out of it relatively quickly. And for us, the only way we can deal with it now is extreme social distancing because we didn't take measures, including testing, early on where we could localize cases, identify cases, and then quarantine those cases. But I agree. I think I, I am not confident that the, the, the Dow will stay above 15,000. Uh, and the reason I want to crow is, remember when we had our bet and then I won the bet and so it was going to go to a steakhouse and so instead we went to Sweet Tomatoes? Do you remember that, Pop? I do remember. And do you remember, do you remember my, the conversation we had at Sweet Tomatoes? Well, when I, lo- when I lose things, I kind of, sort of suppress them, so remind us. I began then a year of giving you my feeling, and my feeling was that the stock market was at a point where it was getting overvalued and that the balloon was pumped up just waiting for a needle and something was going to pop it and that I myself was moving out of the stock market and recommending that other people do likewise at least in significant part. And I continued to send you our, this is me, this is me patting myself on the back. My arm is going to get very tired from the degree to which I'm going to pat myself on the back. And I, and I sent you article after article. We talked about it a lot of times. And, and two months ago, what did you decide to do? I did not make this decision. You made this decision. But I, what... I, I, called, I called Parnassus, where my retirement fund is, and said, put it in bonds. So let's be clear. Now, that this, after you did that, the market went up. Okay, The market went up for another six weeks or so. But since then, I am, I, I am hopeful. I am hopeful that you are as thankful as I am, and on your behalf, I am very thankful that that happened, because everybody else has lost 30% of their retirement funds that are in the stock market. What what I'm feeling kind of bad about is I I kept reminding myself that that I was going to follow your advice and and get it, and purchase the... the, Get get some hedge stuff. The hedge thing. Yeah. I assume you you've made out like a bandit on your investment in that one. A, a bandit a bandit would assume that I had a whole lot of money to do with that with in the first place. But yes, it is my concerns. I am in a position where my concerns about the crisis are not about things that are immediately impacting me. My concerns are about what's happening to my country, what's happening to my neighbors, what's happening to my nonprofit organization, what's happening to my sponsors, what's happening to my friends, my concerns for you. I am right now at this moment in a privileged position of not being over 60 years old, of not having to work in the service industry, of, yes, having been skeptical about what was happening in the stock market prior to the coronavirus. So, yes, I am feeling very, very thankful for myself, but very angry about some of the conduct by our federal government to be unready for this and fearful and empathetic to so many people in our world who are going to be hurting. And by the way, the fact that any of us are hurting means all of us are going to be impacted by this. Yep. All right, Dad. Well, marijuana dispensaries, Pop, have been deemed essential businesses in New York City and San Francisco and allowed to stay open. San Francisco announced a shelter-in-place law earlier this week. Only essential businesses which support a public need were allowed to stay open. This, of course, included grocery stores, gas stations, pharmacies, and banks. And the next day, the city added to the list marijuana dispensaries. New York announced that medical dispensaries are essential for people's health. Thank you, New York City. 
Two members of Congress have now tested positive for COVID-19. Representative Mario Diaz-Ballart of Florida already on self-imposed quarantine in Washington, D.C. Uh, also, Utah Representative Ben McAdams announced later on Wednesday that he also had the virus. And, Pop, you have anything else on the coronavirus? Otherwise, a quick break, and I want to get to election news. Okay, I want to talk about election. I also got a little bit of international that I think we should touch on, and then state and local has been piling up. All right. Well, let's take a quick break. We'll be back with election news, and then we'll be back to what's happening in our hometown. You are listening to Extra. I'm Jefferson Smith. This is News and My Dad. That's my dad near you. I hope you're doing okay. I hope you're staying safe. I hope you're socially distanced. I hope you're using your hand sanitizer if you can find some. I had to scalp some for the studio so we could have some for our DJs who come in and make sure that we're, you know, most a lot of people are doing stuff from home. We're, we're doing our meetings at home. Never have two people in the studio at the same time, et cetera. But I hope you're finding what you need, and I hope you're getting the help you need and know that you're loved. And the reason that we are so grateful to do this is that we are about building and maintaining community. We think there's a critical time for that, and we are so grateful to be able to do it. We're so grateful that you are in community, and it's time for election news. Well, Pop, yep. the Republican primary is over. Yes, now, it is. Tell us about several it. Several of them were canceled. Donald Trump has won enough delegates to clinch the Democratic, excuse me, the Republican nomination. Uh, and Bill Weld has concomitantly dropped out of the race for the Republican nomination for the presidency. Uh, of course, we know the background of this was that Fox News basically blacked out Bill Weld and several states even canceled their primaries and just named Donald Trump. Uh, the nominee, so there wasn't as uh, there wasn't as much of a Republican primary as should have been anticipated, given that Bill Well is actually a credible candidate for president. Has been a governor of a major state, uh, was viewed for years as a possible uh, presidential candidate as a Republican. That here's my here's my take on this. Here's my value added for the day on this. This is going to let us. This is going to give us another data point. Right, because we have seen in previous elections that an incumbent president who has a legitimate primary challenger, the presence of that legitimate primary challenger is an indicator of that incumbent president not winning re-election. Almost every president who runs for a second term wins re-election. The times it hasn't happened has very often been portended by, predicted potentially by, a challenger in their own party's primary. That was true of Jimmy Carter. That was true of George Bush, the elder. And the question about that has been, is that chicken or is it egg? Is it that that primary weakens the incumbent president and makes it harder for them to win? Or is it merely an outcropping? Is it merely a result of a president who is weak and not that popular and somebody in their own party says, well, I'm going to take a shot at this guy because he's not that I'm great. I'm inclined to believe there's a little bit of both, but heavily on the latter. The reason I find th this data point interesting, of course, it'll just be one data point, and it, because you don't have the law of large numbers, you can't draw too many conclusions from it. But it is still interesting to me. If Donald Trump doesn't win re-election, and now he's a wartime president, according to him, of course, it's a war that he helped make significantly worse. But the reality of incumbent presidents, who are either wartime presidents or uh, coming off a strong economy is they usually win re-election. So even though he has low approval numbers, make no mistake that you can't assume that any incumbent president has to be viewed as the front runner in any presidential election. 
And if he doesn't win, it will be, to me, an indicator to the extent that people are having that argument about whether uh, a campaign like Bill Weld hurts the can it hurts the president, or if it's just sort of an outgrowth of a hurt president, uh, I think it'll be a data point that, oh, maybe it's just an indicator. It's not a cause. It correlates without causation. Uh, what else, Dad, that you, do you have on election news? Well, Bernie, what is Bernie going to do? It, uh, the, math, the math is just about irrevocable, that there is no way that Bernie Sanders can overcome the... Some, some, something like 300 delegate deficit that he has right now. Uh, one suggestion is, well, he'll hang on till New York. New York is on the 28th of April, right at night. Now it's going to be the 28th of April. Who knows if it's going to be held at all? But, but there's a, a really good article in today's, uh, I believe it's today's, I don't know, Times or Guardian, pointing out that historically, the idea that New York was a liberal bastion, was a place for progressives to recover, has just never been anywhere close to true. And I think it really is time for Bernie to chuck it in, but we'll see. I'm not going to call for the end to the primary, and in part because what is so needed now is unity among pro-democracy forces that can so get so motivated and legitimately motivated by their attachment to a particular campaign. That's true for all of us. I am not immune to that. But at this moment, we will need a supermajority, at the very least a bare majority, of pro-democracy voters and human beings to link arms to make sure that we save democracy and at this point now save the economy and make sure our social safety net, that our government infrastructure, that our social justice infrastructure, that our public structures are in place in the future so that when things like this happen, we are ready, so that you haven't dismantled the pandemic office before a pandemic hits, that you haven't fought against an expansion, a growth of public health and public health care before a pandemic hits. That now is a time I do think for folks to link arms. As part of the link arms, I don't want to be saying, oh, your favorite guy, kick out your favorite guy. That is not, I, I think that there is time. Now I do think it is very challenging to imagine uh, there, I mean, if I just look at the arithmetic, and I, David Pluff came on, you know, the o Obama campaign manager, and said there is not a moment to lose. Bernie Sanders should do what he does, but at this point, Joe Biden needs to understand that he is a general election candidate. We've got seven months. The one thing that a campaign never has enough of is time, and the political experts are saying that Joe Biden needs now to firmly run against Donald Trump. So I hope that the, I do hope that the primary will not get, uh, you know, the Republican primary is now over. I do hope the Democratic primary will not get any bloodier. I hope that nobody will do anything to try to make uh, any any candidate in it weaker, but that's different for me. Uh, but I recognize how there there are legitimate differences between those between Bernie Sanders and and Joe Biden. Legitimate differences, and people who feel those differences have every right to have those feelings. There are there are important differences. Uh, I would argue they are not as big a difference as the difference between either of those guys and the current occupant of the White House. Uh, but uh, but I hear where you're coming from, where a lot of political experts are coming from. But at this point. I think we've got to link arms as humans and pro-democracy folks. And, you know, Bernie Sanders has a movement of people, has a movement of people who have placed huge hopes in his very hopeful campaign to transform American politics. And the idea that that, that, that 
massive ship that has been being steered for the last four years is going to be, you know, just, you know, seek port and park very quickly. I think that's a lot to ask. There's a lot of processing to do and also negotiating to do to make sure that the eventual Democratic nominee does have as progressive a platform as possible. Uh, that's why I hope that both Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren will hold out their endorsements immediately to ensure that there is a pro-human, pro-social, pro-democracy agenda, and that includes making sure that the people who are in the White House administration will be watchdogs. I want to give plaudits to Elizabeth Warren's uh, just demonstrating again her capability. She said, "All right, if we're going to be giving bailouts to these companies, here are my con- here's some conditions for it. Let's make sure they actually add a work add a workers' representative to their board. Let's make sure that we have other protections for profiteering." Uh, and want to make sure that people with that kind of instinct are within the administration, not just lobbyist types. Bernie Sanders did deactivate his 2020 campaign Facebook ads. Currently, Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign has no active Facebook ads. When I first got word of that, I, I, somebody said, oh, he's suspending his campaign. No, just suspending his, camp- his Facebook ads. Uh, but Joe Biden has now accumulated what looks like an insurmountable delegate lead, with leaving little time or room to make up that deficit. Uh, Dad, Representative Dan Lempinski uh, fell in the Democratic primary. Did you see that by any chance? Yes. Explain. Yes. Well, that was uh, the, 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 the guy was, was a Democrat in name only. He was on the wrong side of some of our most basic some of the most basic issues that divide the Republican Democratic Party, and he was in a district that was not particularly conservative, and by golly, he's gone. Yeah, he's a Chicago congressman known for his staunch opposition to abortion and his votes against Obamacare and same-sex marriage finally succumbed to a liberal challenger on Tuesday in a primary held in the throes of the burgeoning coronavirus pandemic. And let's do just a little bit of, of, of political strategy here. I think going after, you know, the question is to primary or not to primary. And I think, I think primarying an, an existing incumbent is something that should be taken seriously and something that should be taken with consideration. And the easy political analysis is if they're in a strongly held Democratic district, it is legitimate. It is legitimate to expect that it's somebody who is a pretty darn progressive vote in Congress and hopefully a champion on some important things. I do like the idea of a very big tent uh, political party that has a chance to get to a filibuster-proof majority in the Senate, that has a chance to represent a, super, a pro-democracy supermajority in the country. But in a, case, in a place like Chicago, uh, a liberal can win. And, and while we're on this subject and while we're talking about what, what should Bernie do, the the fact that he's not advertising, not paying for advertising on social media right this minute, the money is a big thing because as long as he stays there, now I, I have not received a solicitation for the last several days from Bernie for money. And before that, I was getting them with regularity. But as long as he's there, potential donors, especially this, this potential small money donors to the Biden campaign are going to s- 
sit on the sidelines. And so that, that is another consideration. By the way, there is another Bernie in, in the news or that ought to be in the news that we really do need to, rem- to tell, make people aware of. Go ahead. Do you know what I'm talking about there? Go ahead. Bernie Getz, do you recognize the name? Yeah, is he the guy with the screwdriver? No. Remind me. He's not the guy with the screwdriver. He is the guy who apparently is going to be the Prime Minister of Israel. Oh, that happened? Yes. How'd I miss that? No, well, yeah, but no, I'm right, Dad. I'm right. No, 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 hold on, Dad. I need, to hear, I need you to hear me. In the latest can you hear me? Can you hear me? Folks I'm going to keep talking, and then somebody better, Dad's going to hear me. They weren't able gonna. to find the minority parties to join with them, and it looks like Bernie Getz Hello. has managed to do that. We won't know for sure for a few days, but it looks like that's the case. Dad, I want to check that name. Bernard Getz is known for being the subway vigilante, uh, the guy who was attacked by some uh, by somebody with a with a screwdriver and he shot him down. Uh, the uh, so so that's that's the Bernard Getz that I know of. So let me look up uh, let me look up Israeli prime minister uh, election. So you're saying there's a new Israeli prime minister? When do they get when do they get brought in? Well, it, no, it's it, Gantz. It, it's Gantz, Dad. Gantz, yeah. Yeah, Gantz. Not Getz. Oh, Gantz. Yeah, Bernie Getz is the guy who killed the people on the subway. I, the, Gantz is the guy who is the new, it, it, and it's not Bernie, it's Benny. I apologize for my pronunciation. No, no, but Dad, it's, also, it's not Bernie, that's Sanders. It's Benny Gantz. Yes, you're right. It is Benny. All right, all right. I was thrown. I apologize for being thrown. I had to Google to get confirmed. But now we know the difference between Bernard Getz, who's the guy that shot people in the subway in the 80s. I think it was the 80s. And Benny Gantz, who is now... We've been talking about the Israeli thing for a long time. How did I miss that? They're not gonna, it looks like they're not going to have another election. It's over? Benny Gantz is going to be the prime minister of Israel? It appears so. Holy mackerel. Dad, let's take a very quick break. We come back, let's run through some local stuff, and then we've got and then we've got an honored guest that's going to come in. But let's keep it cracking with some local news that's been piling up. There's a lot to cover with the collapse of the American economy, with the collapse of American public health, with our desire to show you how much we love you and trying to keep track of all this stuff. We appreciate you. We're going to be right back. And Nathan after we do this quick six, maybe I should just do my straw. Okay, whatever you want. And now it's time for today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. I'm Jefferson Smith. It's Thursday, March 19th. As of Wednesday, Oregon has a total of 75 known cases of the novel coronavirus, according to the Oregon Health Authority. OHA has announced 10 new confirmed cases of the coronavirus on Wednesday. Health Authority also reported additional death from the virus, bringing the state's total number of deaths to three. New death was a 71-year-old man in Washington County. The other two were 70-year-old Multnomah County man and a 60-year-old Lane County woman. Governor Kate Brown is deploying the Oregon National Guard to set up 250 emergency hospital beds at the state fairground on Salem. Brown has been holding daily calls with reporters and announced the latest measure on Wednesday. The hospital will be set up in the Jackman Long building, an existing building on the fairgrounds property. Members of the Oregon National Guard will be filling it with basic medical equipment and beds in the next couple of days. Kate Brown said she hoped it would be operational by Friday. 
Governor John Kitzhaber came out with a set of recommendations, the former governor and practice, former practicing medical doctor, emergency room physician, also recommended that Wapato, the former prison facility, well, built to be a prison facility, be converted to something akin to a fever clinic. A local distillery is offering free sand, sand sanitizer, hand sanitizer to Portland residents while supplies last shine distillery and grill is making the hand sanitizer they're going to offer free 2.7 ounce bottles to anyone in need while supplies last distilleries in atlantic north carolina and georgia are doing similarly in a facebook post shine offered to share their recipe with any distillery that wants to join the movement and i'm holding a bottle of it right now National parks in Oregon and across the country will temporarily be free for all visitors. National Park Service announced Wednesday that entrance fees will be waived at all national parks, sites that remain open, effective until further notice. In Oregon, that means you can go for free to Crater Lake National Park, John Day Fossil Beds, Oregon Caves National Monument, and the Lewis and Clark National Historical Park. In Washington State, People can also visit Olympic National Park, Mount Rainier National Park, and several others. What a way to social distance. It is beautiful outside. Some stores in the region are setting aside shopping hours for community members who are at greater risk for getting sick. New Seasons is asking its customers to observe a senior shopping hour from 8 to 9 a.m. each weekday. The store's senior discount will be available each weekday. Safeway and Albertsons will be providing designated hours for specific vulnerable groups that includes the elderly people that includes the pregnant women and the people with compromised immune systems safeway and albertsons will reserve every tuesday and thursday from 7 a.m to 9 a.m for vulnerable shoppers and that's today's quick six local rundown we got a text in thanks jeff and the x-ray gang for helping our family stay informed which also helps keep our sanity during this crazy time by the way that's why one of the reasons we're keeping doing this is that some, like when the mail person comes, when the mail carrier drops off, they're like, hey, look, some bit of civilization still exists. When certain things still work, it's a marvelous thing. By the way, one thing that didn't make the quick six, but I'll say now, Willamette Week's story about how there's still long lines, the DMV, and not a lot of social distancing happening in the Department of Motor Vehicles. I suspect there'll be some uh, announcement about that coming up soon. Dad, you got any other local news you want to shout out before you give us? Our strong I, win. I've got so much local news, I hardly even know where to start. But at some point, I think we ought to talk about what was lost because the legislature was unable to do its business in its short session. Yeah, let's do that. All of the bills that would have passed because they had bipartisan support had the Republicans not taken French leave. I think that, that that's something that uh, we, we ought to give some real, some real time to. Uh, there's a there appears to be just a whole lot of waste going on in the Travel Oregon Department, starting with the 382000 bucks that they're paying Todd Davidson, the director, plus a car, which is absolutely ridiculous. Well, it's Travel Fesser, Oregon. He's got to get around. Professor Saga continues. Feds are investigating to see if, if there was chicanery in the settlement with Chief Timaeus at Westland, but the... the the Westland Police Department just seems to be an absolute snake pit. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but, but that's something I've been watching with interest. Keep going, Dad. G give a few more headlines, then we got to wrap and get to your straw. 
Shall I, can I, should I give my straw? Well, it's a question. Do you want to stick can around I with our guests? Two straws. Can you hear me? Uh, First can you hear me? is that nope. in 2017, there were about 428 leaflets from far-right organizations, white supremacist organizations, circulated on campuses. That was 428 white supremacist leaflets in 2017. In 2018, there were 1,214, which is over twice as many. In 2019, it was 2,713, over twice as many as that. And of course, we've just started, but that's a very scary draw in the wind. And then the other straw in the wind, Hannity the other night had a big thing on how badly Michael Flynn had been treated, and I am predicting that that is a straw leading to the pardoning of Michael Flynn, but we shall see. Well, Pop, we did it one more time. Can you hear me? And I'll, we'll be back on Monday. <laughs> All right. Love you, Pop. Love you, too. And we'll be back in just a moment with our guests. Thank you so much for listening to X-Ray. We appreciate you. Uh, we're going to be talking to Johanna Ogden and Reedy DeCruz in just a moment. When some 30,000 Asian Indian immigrants arrived in the West Coast around the turn of the century, it spurred its own labor movement, the Ghadar Party. But the formation and history of the party has disappeared from the collective consciousness, despite how close it is to its Oregon roots. And today we're going to talk about it. As we look around the world, we will have updated information on the coronavirus and what's happening around the world, not only here in Portland and in Oregon and Washington. But we also want to keep our eyes out for deeper themes, what's happening with social justice infrastructure, what's happening around the world, and what's happening in our town and people who are bringing out information that we shouldn't forget. On the line right now, we have Johanna Ogden and Rudy Cruz. Uh, De Cruz, excuse me, when some 30,000 Asian Indian immigrants arrived in the West Coast around the turn of the century, it started its own labor movement that many of us have forgotten. Now we are going to rediscover that forgotten history. Johanna, Rudy, welcome. Thank you for having us on. This is yeah, Joe. happy to be here. Uh, uh, Johanna, let's start with you. What drew the Asian Indian workers to the West Coast? Um, well, first of all, it was more in the in line of maybe eight to ten thousand um, people from the country of what we now know as India and Pakistan. And I'm going to use the word Indian. I, I'm not referring to indigenous people, and language gets a little tricky in all of this. But basically, there were there was the basic push pull of immigration. One is the British had colonized India and wreaked a lot of devastation on the country in terms of famines and economic dislocations. And the other thing is North America at that time was pretty much um, a big sucking sound for global workers from around the world to build up its industrial base. And that was certainly true in the Pacific Northwest. Um, most of the men here, and it was 99.9% .9 men in Oregon, um, worked in the lumber mills largely along the Columbia River. And, Rudy, what gave you, what, what sort of prompted your interest in re-exploring this story? 
Well, as an immigrant myself, um, at a time where um, a lot of chaos and anti-immigrant sentiment seems to be growing or at least becoming more evident in the country, um, I think also as a place-making organizer, um, you know, which is trying to uncover the complex stories of place, whether that's ranging from the colonization of the Americas to um, the present contemporary day lives of how we inhabit this place. You know, it's just, it was, um, it, it, it just needed to happen. And another key feature I would say is wanting to band together with other um, Indian origin or South Asian origin folks in Portland to see, um, hey, how do we, what does it mean for us to be in this place together and remember um, how, how our history and stories have um, unfolded in this place? Why Oregon? What anything was just West Coast generally? What was the particular connection to Oregon? For why people came here? Sure. Um, well, I think it was two things. Um, first of all, in in 1907, there was widespread anti-Asian, meaning against um, Japanese, Chinese, and Indian um, workers and business people that lived across the West, California, Oregon, and Washington especially. And there were huge riots that broke out. One of the bigger ones aimed directly at um, Indian workers, from, mainly from Punjab, happened in Bellingham, Washington in 1907. People escaped um you know, across the border into Canada, thinking because Canada was a British Dominion, they'd be protected there. A few days later, a riot that I think remains one of the biggest in Canadian history broke out involving 10,000 people that then rampaged across the downtown of Vancouver. So um, people were looking for a safe place to go after all of that. And Oregon did had did not have the widespread communal violence that the rest of the West had. There was a murder that happened in October on Halloween night in 1907, but it was prosecuted, which also stood out. And I want to be real clear here. I don't think Oregon, Oregon did not have um, that level of violence, not because it was a progressive, kind, gentler place, but because leaders, especially in and around Portland, had developed a very specific social policy about global workers because they had realized that the Chinese earlier had been fleeing California violence against them and they thought, okay, this is a perfect opportunity if we oppose communal violence against these workers, we're going to ensure ourselves a labor force and build up a successful business industrial base. So that's where that policy was coming from and Oregon was the only place, as I said, in 1907, there was any prosecution of the violence. So that policy combined with the 1905 fair, which doubled and tripled the state's, uh, the Lewis and Clark fair, um, it doubled the population of the area, it built up. The reason St. John's wasn't just a collection of tents in 1910, which is when a riot happened against Indian workers there, was largely because of the 1905 fair and the building of the city and the industrial base. So Indians came to work and they came for peace. That's what they were hoping for. 
And tell us about the Godard Party in our last minute or so. Tell us about the Godard Party. How did it form? And then what happened to it? Rudy, you want to um, tell us? Rudy, do you want to take that or you want me to? Yeah, no, I'd prefer you speak to that if that's the case. Okay. I'm having a little hard time hearing the other voice. We're on two different lines. But the Gutter Party was basically, I think the seeds of it came out of St. John's, Oregon after a riot there that I mentioned happened in 1910. And this Saturday is the 110th anniversary. And basically, after, you know, leaving India and all of what British colonialism meant there, after having witnessed not only the violence of 1907, but the government clamped down against them in the wake of that violence, which um, is a whole nother story. Um, and they had come to the state thinking maybe they have a peaceful existence here, and that kind of blew up in their face in March 21st, 1910 in St. John's, is, you know, I think all of us, I think we're living through right now with the coronavirus a certain moment of truth where a lot of the social relations around us get laid bare and you're like, well, why don't we have health insurance and all of those questions. I think that's the kind of moment that was happening for Indian workers in St. John's, and it was, they were a part of networks of information of Indians, you know, in the North American West, but also the diasporic community around the world. And they came to, they started studying, these laborers started studying and asking, why are we so abused everywhere we go? And the c conclusion they came to was, it was because they didn't run their own country and they would never be respected anywhere unless that happened. And they started organizing. They started that say group in 1912. We think we know the neighborhood where those meetings took place in St. John's, which is kind of exciting. And there's a 1910, St. John's 1910 Facebook page where we're going to upload this walking tour. Um, so they came to that conclusion, and within a few weeks' time, they were traveling up and down the Columbia River and then um, organizing, gathering recruits, and then they had an open, um, con essentially, convention in Astoria, Oregon, in the Finnish Socialist Hall, and founded the Gather Party there in um, the late, late spring of 1913. And, and you guys had an event. You guys had, uh, forgive, forgive me, go ahead, finish your, finish your thought, but then wanted to ask about the event you have, which presumably you're not going to be able to do, but go ahead. Um, yeah, they, they launched that party and became a global movement, right? And so largely there's not a continuous Indian um, population in Oregon because Gather's influence was so great that people left in droves to go try to end British rule of their country. And I want to make sure I get the pronunciation right. It's Gutter? That's how you're pronouncing it? Yeah. Gutter Somebody party. corrected me. It rhymes with mother. Well, that's very helpful. Thank you so much for spending the time with us and letting us know not only this bit of history about Oregon, but also how it gives us a window to the broader world. Where can we find out more? My understanding was you all had something planned uh, for the 21st, but I suspect that may be delayed. Exactly right. It, um, we hope to hope it's a postponement. We had planned a commemoration of, like I said, the 110th anniversary of the St. John's Riot that <clears throat> happened on March 21st, this Saturday. Um, again, we hope to postpone that. 
but there's both the Facebook page, but I'd also direct people to the current issue of the Oregon Historical Quarterly, which is devoted to white supremacy and, and the opposition to it. And there's an uh, article in there about this history, about St. John's and Oregon's connection to this very important Indian global movement. Well, thank um, you very much. Johanna Ogden and Rudy De Cruz. thank you so much for spending the time this morning and for your work. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So we got a question earlier about what's happening around the world with the coronavirus. I can give some numbers. Uh, there are now 229,881 confirmed cases and 9,377 deaths. You'll notice that that number has grown substantially even just in the last 24 hours. Uh, if you go to worldometers.info, worldometers.info uh, slash coronavirus, you can see some helpful information. Uh, also, we've had uh, a- active cases currently infected. It says 134,000 closed cases, cases which had an outcome either recovered, 86,000, or deaths, 9,000. Uh, that, that does show a 10% put, uh, mortality rate. To be clear, the mortality rate has got to be vastly lower than that because testing is so low, particularly in this country. Testing is so low or so far behind other countries. We are seeing a hockey stick growth. Uh, the We were only up to 2,500 deaths as of about February 27th, and now three weeks later we're getting close to 10,000 deaths. So that's a little bit of what's happening around the world. But we now there are now confirmed cases in every state of the Union, uh, not only in some of the coastal states, but there are now, now cases everywhere. So that's some of the updates. Also want to say thanks. Somebody wants to make a sand sanitizer meme real quick with Sean Hannity selling sand to clean hands to avoid coronavirus, but I'm too busy right now. I appreciate that idea. In fact, if you had the time, I like the sand sanitizer. Sean Hannity selling sand to clean your hands. It's, it's, you don't want to confuse the sand sanitizer, as I did, with the hand sanitizer. Very different things. Somebody else wanted to get a copy of the Trump uh, comments and lies on the uh, uh, that we went over. Yeah, I can tweet that out. If you uh, want to follow my Twitter at Jefferson D. Smith, I can tweet out that there are a couple different places you can get it. One that uh, one good source that also has the experts' comments that sort of contraposites to what Donald Trump had to say was published by the New York Times just recently. It might have been this morning. Uh, the uh, it sounds like Pop has joined the line and is back with us. The moment we might be having Alex Zelensky. Oh, Alex Linsky is with us. Alex, you there? Yeah, I am. How are you doing? How are you holding up? I'm doing all right. Are you quarantined? Uh, how are How are you guys doing? I'm holding up. Are you you working from home, presumably? Yeah, I am. And everybody in your shop working from home? You guys had to deal with layoffs. What was that like? Yeah, everyone in our shop is uh, not all employed right now, but yeah. a lot of them are. Uh, yeah. We've got, got a skeleton crew of about eight total staff right now at the Mercury and mm. had to lay off 10 folks last week, which was uh, really rough. And I was actually just looking online of how many other alt weeklies like the Mercury are, are suffering across the country right now from this, along with everyone else, of course. But And, 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 forgive, you know. and forgive me, and if you want to change the subject, we can change the subject as soon as you want, but it's a window to what's happening 
uh, to the world, and it's so close. And I know that there are multiple of us. He, Mercury put out a little funders and multiple people in our community were are sharing that around and wanting to uh, to support the Mercury to make sure it makes it through this time. Is it because primarily because so much of the ad revenue for the Mercury is event driven? What was the that slashing yeah. half the staff? Yeah, I mean, understand that. Uh, I think it, so. So first of all, we're seeing it. Um, our sister paper is a Seattle stranger. Uh, the reason that we, the Mercury, were kind of hit before other maybe uh, uh, businesses in general or just publications oh, uh, because we're so financially tied to the Seattle right. stranger, which we love and adore them. Um, but they, because of their location, the amount of yeah ad revenue coming in from businesses who had money to spend on ads, right. uh, we have a... Um, we rely a lot on people going to events and buying tickets. We have like a ticketing program where we get some uh, funding, ticket sales, um, and you know we partner with different events and get funding from that. So it's so many of so much of our revenue is tied to people gathering and social spaces <laughs> yeah. uh, that uh, it really hit us immediately and it hit us hard and it really took a lot of us. Um, uh, off guard a little bit here just because we hadn't in Portland it didn't feel as dire as it was up in Seattle and things started to get rough financially for them and so um, so yeah the, it, since we're so so intertwined with their revenue up there and it, it hit us um, pretty hard so yeah it's it's because we're just a, a you know like you guys a community organization we thrive on on our community supporting other uh, going out to restaurants, going out to the movies, going to see music, and and small businesses being able to buy ads, and um, you know we're all we're all hurting locally. Uh, any small business around here, so it. Uh, it no, it it's a real too. it's a real thing, and we've got. Uh, we we just I just had a three hour budget meeting yesterday. Uh, we're trying to figure out what we're going to do. You know, our uh, we had to cancel our fundraising. You know, our, our yeah, big annual fundraiser, which is uh, which was booked for this coming Saturday, and that was essentially like me writing a thirty thousand dollars check to the coronavirus. And and for <laughs> us, I mean, you know, for some organizations, you know, it might be all, not yeah. not all the money in the world. For us, that's a really big deal. And we are, you know, we will we will survive and thrive to the degree that our members help us do that. And but we know that we're. We're already feeling the pinch. We've already had a couple sponsors who said, "Listen, we're we're a bar. We, we don't yeah. have. We, we literally <laughs> don't have any money to pay anybody. Our decision is not only to close now, but if we're ever going to reopen. And so we're feeling that that's not just happening to the Mercury. That's happening elsewhere. Oh, yeah. And one of, mm-hmm. by the way, shout out to the Gritska family who, upon hearing part of our tale of woe, uh, up their membership, really appreciate that. Uh, and so it is. It is a time when human beings who have the opportunity to have the capability to are stepping up and helping out and the mercury has seen some of that too yeah yeah that's that's really been the silver lining in all of this just seeing how many people really appreciate uh the the role we fill in the community whether that's through our you know news reporting but also you know a lot of bands coming forward and and writers coming forward and comedians saying hey this is the first uh, this is Mercury worth paying attention to me, but no one else is paying attention to me, and and let's support them, and um, and even you know political members of, of politics here, um, locally at the state level, who really see us mattering. I think even 
a state representative, I forget her name, but who's really tied with like the timber unity uh, kind of anti or yeah, anti cap and trade folks. She gave us a donation with kind of the, uh, you know, amendment, uh, like maybe now the Mercury understands what it's like for, for workers to suffer or something, but really, <laughs> really saying, hey, like we care about free speech. It's not a political issue, even though you don't care about your politics that much. But um, yeah, it's been heartening to see that kind of support and makes me want to work even harder to uh, keep going until we can't go anymore. Yeah. The uh, let's get to where first of all I count me as one of the people who's really grateful for the work that you do and that shares the uh, feeling that this is a time for us to dig in and do our very best and try to build community mm-hmm. and give information. I don't know if there's ever been a time when people are hungrier for what's happening in our community, what how is this impacting folks, how they can engage and help, how can they separate and still help. Uh, yeah. What are some of the we've got an article by you. Uh, the dispatch from the healthcare workers on the front lines. What are you learning? What have you heard from the uh, healthcare workers on the front lines? Yeah, yeah. So I've been over the past couple of days just talking to, um, you know, ER nurses, uh, volunteers who are going out and and giving kind of first aid and and information to folks who are houseless. Um, uh, kind of a, a broad spectrum of folks and. I'm, you know, it's funny, it's obviously they're, <clears throat> they're more on top of kind of what's going on than any of us since they're, uh, they're seeing kind of the effects play out and they're the first people to know, okay, can we test this person? Where can this person, you know, um, what kind of advice does the CDC tell us that we should be uh, giving this person? Should be wearing a mask? Kind of all this stuff. But they're still facing a ton of anxiety that the rest of society is also <laughs> kind of tangled up in, and just a lot of confusion. I mean, I've been speaking with um, a lot of nurses in particular who are represented through the Oregon Nurses Association, a uh, really large union that that represents nurses across the state, and it's just you know day to day different. Uh, they're getting different directions as to how even just like what kind of masks they should be wearing and like where they should be putting patients and um, uh, you know administrators are telling you know um, some people some things and some people other things and it's it's hard especially when as a healthcare worker you really want to make sure you're giving the best possible care to your patients and when information is changing so quickly and it could change you know a manager could tell you one thing in the morning it could change by the afternoon um you really want to make sure you're you're staying on top of it um and at the same time a lot of these nurses um and and just any physicians really in in hospitals right now um they're wanting to make sure that they're taking care of themselves um you know we've seen across the the world that a lot of the people being um you know sickened by the coronavirus and even really fatally uh, fatally sickened are people who are you know medical workers people who are especially yeah, um, no my, my wife is it was named essential personnel at OHSU she's not a she's not a primary caregiver she works on research studies mm-hmm. but the uh, but yeah and so she's become particularly has heightened sensitivity to making sure that she doesn't interact with folks doesn't we want me interacting with folks to make sure that she oh, yeah. can stay safe there you and, go. I, and I've been thinking about I've been thinking about all those folks who don't have the luxury I mean I you know I, I can complain but I am so very lucky to be able to do so much of what I do 
and be able to uh, do whatever support I can to offer others and do it either from home or in a studio with mm-hmm. nobody else in the room with hand sanitizer at the ready. And I know for somebody who's got to help a sick person, they do not have that luxury. You can't yeah. tend to somebody from remote. Right. And they're also like normal people who have kids and who are taking care of their baby parents, elderly parents, and, and they have to distance themselves from their community while they're doing that just to make sure that people in their lives are also not getting sick from them like you know you were saying with with your wife and and the the remarkable thing at least um from my perspective is that only this weekend were nurses and doctors finally getting tested themselves for coronavirus and um you probably know this but ohsu now has a drive-in kind of test um coronavirus like testing facility for any uh, physicians, so they can drive up and, and right. be tested right. pretty quickly. Um, not for the general public, but right now it's just for, for folks um, in the me- uh, healthcare uh, profession. But but before then, I was hearing from nurses that yeah, they'd be interacting with people who had symptoms of coronavirus all day. Uh, would go home, would be asked to come back to work without being tested for any of that, um, and just expected to kind of go uh, keep chugging along and and interact with a ton of other people who um, who might, you know, they might be passing something on to. And so I think that that whole aspect of it is really frightening. I mean, earlier in all of this, a couple, or at least a week ago, which doesn't seem that long ago, but it, it does. No, the, the last time. week, um, it feels like a year. We were like, yeah. eight, this all started really cracking like eight days ago, and already yeah. we feel like shut-ins. Yeah, yeah. Um, so just last week, uh, you know, speaking to a a spokesperson with the Oregon Nurses Association who said they had just been talking to a nurse who saw at a hospital they were working at saw a uh, an uh, administrator or management someone who's not uh, actually a, a you know physician allowing a um, family who had come and visited their uh, someone who had a family member who had coronavirus symptoms they went into the room visited them and then this administrator left that family go out and, and go to the cafeteria and, and get some food afterwards and just kind of hang out. And uh, and there have been just a ton of these reports of broken kind of quarantines um, from visitors, from, you know, there, there, there really should be <laughs> some stricter protocols around how people who are interacting with folks with coronavirus symptoms are then interacting with the greater public. Um, that seems to be a huge concern. I think the biggest thing right now is still the lack of supplies, um, the lack of masks, yeah. the lack of um, gloves in, in some of the biggest hospitals around here. I was talking to a nurse at St. Vincent's um, uh, Providence and she said that she works in the emergency room. People have been running in, grabbing boxes of masks and running away. And running out. Yeah. yeah. Not even patients, just people who just really were like, need some. We need this. They put their N95 masks behind lock and key and and to even protect them from other nurses stealing them yeah um because it's at that point where they really need to save those for yeah no you got to have a we're, we're we're trying to figure out a similar thing we did get some masks we use them to uh to cover over the microphone so that one person speaking to the microphone doesn't infect the next person by the way you're listening mm-hmm. to x-ray mm-hmm. fm kxry portland kqac hd3 portland 107.1 91.1 fm uh and we're trying to figure out okay well do we give balaclavas to folks uh, do we do uh, the other is uh, uh, just replacement uh, foam headers, right? Like before, mm-hmm. like a five cent surgical mask seemed like a much 
a, a much better thing to get than a $12 microphone cover. But at this moment, it seems smarter to maybe get more $12 microphone covers, give every DJ a microphone cover, their own microphone cover. Own, and in fact, yeah. that's what we're that's what we're looking to do. And I can only imagine if what you're doing is not only trying to communicate to people, you know, do some chatty chatty on the radio radio, but actually trying to make sure that you're saving somebody's life. Yeah. Yeah. It's scary. I can't imagine being in that profession right now because there's so much responsibility and so much uncertainty well, that we're feeling as a general public, yeah. but for them, yeah, they can. They and we don't want them to bow out, right? We don't want yep. them to, you know, only go to only take the free Crater Lake trip and not pay attention to actually their job. Alex Zelinsky, Portland Mercury, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for what you're doing. Much love to the folks at the Mercury Shop. Give a give them our our heartfelt uh, our heartfelt love having to go through some of those some of those transitions. We appreciate you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, and thank you guys for what you're doing. All right. Well, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Well, everybody, thank you, and thank you, Democracy. Mm-hmm.